Sonic Statesman. What's wrong? So, hello everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk number 183, recording live today, Wednesday, the 28th of July, and uh, we'll be going live uh, with the MP3, iTunes, and all that stuff available by the site uh, tomorrow, Thursday, the 29th. So, welcome everybody. We're trying a different new thing. Those of you watching live uh, will no doubt see that we've got a, a split screen of uh, myself, hello, and Mr. Dave Spears, who's in me, with me in the studio. Hello. Uh, and below that, there's a kind of uh, stream of the chat, because I felt that it would be kind of nice to uh, have a record of it, because the thing about the uh, Ustream chat is it sort of goes away. It's not persistent. So anyway, um, I thought we'd, um, we'd try that this week and see how we get on. It means I can't do any fancy camera switching, because um, if I do, <laughs> I lose all the chat. So I've got to be very careful. I mustn't press any buttons. But I will figure out a way to do it. First of all, in the studio, to my right-hand side, is Mr. Dave Spears, who's got his very own uh, split-screen display right there. Hello. That Hello. looks brilliant on the display. G4software.com. <laughs> it's the wrong way around, anyway. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us, Dave. Uh, Dave, you've been down in Bath for a little bit of a jolly. Yep. 19 years since me and the missus ran away to Amsterdam. So we're celebrating 19 years since our first, what did I call it earlier? Horizontal kiss. I see. We should probably say no more about that. But uh, congratulations to both you and Louise. I hope you had a lovely evening and day and afternoon and breakfast and all of those things. Lots of shopping today. Well, there's lots of shops here right now, aren't there? What was that shop called? Uh, White Stuff. White Stuff, right? There's a shop in Bath called White Stuff, and on the front of window, it's got new lines added. <laughs> so I couldn't resist popping in and asking. Yeah. We'll say no more about that either, because we'll have to tag the show. <laughs> anyway, that first chuckle you heard there is uh, PJ Tracy, who's joining us. He's back from the woods, where he's been uh, enjoying some time out with his family. PJTracyMusic.com. Emmy-winning composer and um, general all-about studio guy, play, player and uh, composer. How are you, PJ? I'm great. It's gla- I'm really glad to be here. How are you I'm, guys doing? I'm glad you're here too. Uh, yeah, we're fine, actually. It's hot in here. It's nice. It's very steamy. Good. Very steamy. Um, we, don't seem to have, steamy. we don't seem to have had any change in the humidity or temperature for about eight weeks, which nice. is kind of good but it's also a bit incessant so uh if you... oh yeah we've got the same thing going here uh yesterday it was 95 degrees with a heat index of 105 because it, the dew point was at about 75 so it was just <sighs> wow. almost almost intolerable but i'm in my nice air conditioned studio so i'm i'm happy that's I'm happy nice well my air conditioning is right here i can switch it on if you like yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll mic it up so you can hear what it sounds like <laughs> That sounds like my old G5 Mac. Uh, sounds <laughs> sounds chilly. Uh, I have got a wind fil- uh, filter on my uh, on my mic, so it's uh, actually cutting out some of the rumble. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there we go. I'll, I'll leave it off just to be uh, just to be fair to everybody. Uh, anyway, thanks for joining us, PJ, and also Mr. Richard Hilton from Connecticut, where he's uh, the studio guy and live player and uh, all around uh, audio and musical associate of Mr. Nile Rogers. How are you, Rich? Very well, thank you. Very well. Sounding beautifully audio and pristine as usual. Is that the same same setup as usual? Thank you. Yes, it is. I can't hear your air conditioning. Does that mean it's uh, cooled down a bit where you are? It's actually I'm actually sweltering a bit, but I don't have the air conditioning on at the moment. It's uh, 83 degrees Fahrenheit here right now, and uh, the humidity is kind of moderate, so it's starting to get hot. Ooh. And I'm up, and I'm upstairs in a in a cape house, which is one of those houses where the upstairs has the vaulted ceilings because of the roof line. Ah, they extra so, hot. Yeah, it gets a little warm up here. Yeah, 
Well, thanks for doing it. Is that where you usually are, or is that just a particular venue yeah. for today's... Okay. <laughs> no, no, this is the usual uh, desk. The usual venue. <laughs> Festooned with breakfast before me. Ah, uh, well, I haven't heard you snacking yet. Let me just guess, though. Have you got any cereals there, or is it, uh, is it more of a uh, fruit-based breakfast? Salad, salad and fish. Hmm. Salad and fish for breakfast. That's a kind of exotic. Is yep. that a particular... Does it, is that like a tropical kind of breakfast, or... Uh, we're probably getting it's into just a bit. what I've, I've just sort of arrived at this just over arrived the years there. as being what's best for me to start my day with. Well, I'm okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Anyway, yeah. um, thanks for joining us, Rich. Uh, let's let's make a start. Um, Sonic Talk number one hundred eighty-three. Let's go. Uh, first of all, I wanted to say um, uh, that one of our listeners who's in the chat room, um, uh, Juicy Audio, uh, Juicy Audio Productions, uh, Shakar Rajdine. I think I no, he said that this right. Shaker. Shaker, oh, Shaker, Rajda, Shaker Rajdine has just produced an album. Um, it's just out. You can get it at srdmusic.bandcamp.com. Cool. Uh, go check it out. He's got uh, the Dave, Dave is on the nail. Mm. Anyway, um, yes, srdmusic.bandcamp.com. Go and check it out. Um, you can buy the and listen to the, uh, the tracks there. All other digital formats, 24 of them, he says, including iTunes and Amazon, are all coming out on 23rd of August, which is his birthday. So congratulations, mate. Mm. Um, and good work. Good work. Anyway, let's move on to uh, one of our first topics. Um, let me see what I've got here. Ah, yes. Is this significant? I wonder if it is. Um, ProSonic, who um, have been making VST plugs and stuff uh, since way back, um, they used to make something called the Orange Vocoder, and I think a filter of some kind, if I remember correctly. Oh, North Pole. North Pole filter, that's right. Uh, have announced that their Windows products will no longer be available uh, to download or registered users starting January the 1st next year. Uh, they've discontinued development of its few Windows products, and now they've actually basically stopped. And I just wondered, you know, does this have any significance uh, at all? Um, and... Uh, well, let's start with that question, I suppose. Do you think there's any significance in that? I mean, I know, you know, I'm not sort of pronouncing the death of Windows by any stretch, but, you know, is this a, perhaps a precursor to anything bigger or um, or, or not? I, I'm getting a lot of no's in the chat room. <laughs> what do you think, Dave? You're a dev? Uh, probably not, no. Okay. It's, um, I can kind of understand this. I know somebody did this before, actually, decided to uh, stop doing Windows. And, uh... I can't remember whether he put a quote saying about piracy being endemic on Windows, but he did get an awful lot of um, flack for it. Oh, yeah, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens here. It's more formats. I mean, really, the point is you've got to focus on what, what you can put the resources into. And by the time you look at, you know, platforms and formats and blah, 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 sometimes you look at it and go, do this easier just to do hardware. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably cheaper too. But, you know, maybe it's a kind of... The only conclusion I'd probably draw from this, and it may be completely um, bogus, is that perhaps we might start seeing some iPad-type things. From them? Maybe yeah. they're putting, you know, all yeah. their resources into a Mac because... Yeah. I know, I was seeing some terrifying, well, not terrifying, really quite jollifying statistics. I listened to another podcast, and there was a, a, a um, Lisa Betney, who is uh, a kind of all-round new media person. She's produced a, a photo, photo app for the iPhone. Which you know, and she sold in the first month two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth. Wow! And she's kind of like, "Wow, my life has changed." Yeah. So you just sort of got to think, "Hmm, okay." But I know, um, Rich. Um, I, I suppose the other question is, you know, when, 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 when do the signs become uh, incontrovertible? And um, PJ, you've jumped a few times, haven't you? You've switched. 
have there been any kind of uh any different you know any points when you've just gone you know it's time i can see that this is a, a dead end or i can see that this other platform has got more promise not not so much with the platform. I mean, um, I still think that the Mac is a superior platform. Um, the reason why I switched to Windows was because I had people around me that at the time um, I was a novice computer builder said, I can build you a machine, you know, that's twice the power for half the money. And yeah. at the time that was that was true. That's pretty compelling. Saw, yeah, it was. It was really compelling. And um, this was at the time when um, the first X64 chips were coming out. AMD was making them and they were they were kicking ass all over the the uh intel variety at that point and uh, i moved to an extremely powerful machine and for what i was doing you know which was a lot of sound design and composing and stuff like that on a on a shoestring um i i made the jump and and kind of got used to it the one thing that i lost at the time because it wasn't well supported was I was using Pro Tools LE as my main platform, and I wound up having to. Oh, I, I eventually, as everybody who is a follower of the show knows, I migrated into Cubase, right. which was a compromise. Which was a compromise because I, I even with the at the time the the you know the supposed limited MIDI facilities inside of Pro Tools, I still think it was by far a superior platform. But the one thing that I do. I do realize is that I like the VST plugin platform a lot better than the RTAS plugin platform. Uh, all of uh, you know, all of um, DigiDesign or Avid's uh, arguments about it being a more stable environment aside, uh, there's just so much more on offer. You know, when you, well, that's when you true enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that quite answers the question, but as far as ProSonics, uh, you know, switch to the Mac, it doesn't affect me. Um, one time, a long time ago, I played around with the Orange vocoder and didn't find that I had much use for it. So I, I never purchased any of their plugins. Well, I guess maybe that's the. Maybe I like that. I was sad to lose that actually well, with the, the whole vocoder. VST to AU switch. I was quite sad to lose that. I think I could have got it again. And in fact, I even like the North Pole thing. Yeah, I remember the North Pole was the was well, it was the first digital plugin filter that, and it was free and everybody sort of went ooh yeah, it, it used to break great. up didn't it it was crunchy yeah and had delays and stuff on it although i do remember it was a bit of a bit buggy it was very hard to get any kind of granular control of the controller it just used to leap about all over yeah. the place and you're hey wait a minute <laughs> hold on there see the thing that the, the filter that i missed when i moved from the mac to the windows platform was i was using i was using and automating all of the mcdsp EQs because they right. had such a, a wonderful interface with their sliders and their graphical interface. You could create really interesting bumps in their in their models and then you could automate, you know, cutoffs and and filter sweeps and things and they sounded so much better than anything else that was available at that time on the Mac to my ears. Right. You know, and and uh I miss I miss those those plugins actually, but uh you know other other than that, yeah, I haven't I haven't experienced any real, you know, real attrition. Hmm. Rich, um, are you kind of, uh, what, what do you think? Does, is this any significant news? I mean, or do you think it just doesn't, doesn't make any odds, really? Well, I think the significance of the news bears more on ProSonic than it does the Windows platform. Let's oh, yeah, start yeah. from there. Yes, of course. Um, because Windows is extraordinarily ubiquitous in other areas besides music, as well as having become more well-used in music. So when... Um, when I see something like this, the first thing I think is 
they had to downsize. The guy that was running their Windows software development is now out there looking for a job, and they're trying to keep their heads above water by continuing to produce products for what is probably their more lucrative aspect of the business. Basically, I suspect they looked at the bottom line and said, how can we do this and impact our business the least? Mm. So it's not really a flat. I, I think that's probably fair. Didn't press on it. They've got some really crazy um, extraction software. I can't remember what it's called now, but it, it, it extracts vocals from uh, from. So we did talk about it. I saw it at Messer a couple of years ago. Was it PreSonus or no? It's PreSonic. PreSonic. Okay. I can't remember what it was called, but it actually really did do a great job. Even though it created a sort of something like a sixteen gig swap file. Oh, screensavers got on. Can't, sorry, can't read the chat room at the moment. Hold on one second. Um, I I. You know, I'm not surprised that CNN missed this. Let's just put it that way with regards <laughs> to the overall impact that Sonic has on the audio world. Are you saying I'm clutching at straws, Edwidge, by any chance? <laughs> not specifically, no. It's just, it may not, you know, it's not like, you know, Avid did something, you know, or Steinberg yeah, slash yeah, Yamaha yeah, or yeah, some yeah, extraordinarily yeah. major company. This is a small company somewhere yeah, yeah, where yeah. they're trying to manage their resources I, I guess I wasn't trying I, almost, to, I wasn't trying to use it as a sort of signifier I just thought it raised a question as a general question but yes I take your point it's not it's not the biggest well, of news you know we can look back at, at when Apple bought eMagic and they discontinued logic support for Windows and people asked some of the same questions what does this mean for the Windows platform and it meant nothing I mean the Windows platform has just continued to grow you know in terms yeah. of its uh, yeah, in terms yeah. of its market share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, there's what, another question that I had in there, which was um, Windows seemed to have sorted out the 64-bit stuff a lot better than, than the Mac. And uh, I was going to ask, because Dave, obviously, 64 is is it, uh, I mean, what's, what's involved? Is it a big deal to code for 64-bit as opposed to 32, or is it sort of just a bit of a recompile? I asked, because um, I'm not a programmer, obviously, and if I claimed to be, I would be laughed out of the room by programmers we use yeah. quite rightly so no but i asked um glenn from spectrosonics at nam because obviously they did uh omnisphere 64 bit and i said oh obviously that's our next step is it really difficult and he went i'd like to say it was easy but it wasn't uh, and we're kind of in it now there's a there's a bit of an issue with um, mac stuff so i'm told because of coca and carbon and backwards compatibility and all of that kind of stuff so that's proving to be a bit of a headache but right. I think Windows stuff seems to be a little more straightforward. Because, I mean, I'm having trouble with the, my video editing platform. I try, I'm try. i running that in 64-bit mode, but it's just it's terrible. I mean, it's just I, – I was honestly, I, was, I did that – I don't know if you saw, I did a, a Jordan Rudess interview, which was a remote one. So it was a Skype video call where it was me and him. So we had three streams. He filmed his iPad and then sent me the file. And I thought, easy peasy, surely, three streams. But I must have had 20 crashes. Yeah, and it was just driving me nuts. And one of the problems is what it is is it's the it's a codec that isn't sixty four bit friendly. And if you've got like an hour and a half of video, and you're loading it all in, that that it grows past the memory barrier and breaks the machine. At least that's what I understand. You know, it seems to anyway. But it's a bloody nightmare. I just wanted to be sorted out. I want it to work, Dave. <laughs> yeah, no, I can identify with that. I mean, there's there's issues at the minute running you know thirty two bit stuff within sixty four host. Um, Certainly within Cubase, there's a couple of issues. Uh, but this J, this guy does this JBridge thing is amazing because obviously it's a bridge to take your 32-bit and allow it to be. Oh, that's why they do they use that in Logic. Right. 
Yeah, there's a bridge in, in Logic for 64-bit stuff, and that seems pretty robust. There was an issue in 5.1 Cubase, and then that seemed... Uh, there was an issue in 5, that seemed to get fixed in 5.1, and now in 5.5 it seems to be back again. But the J-Bridge guy is amazing because he updates, like, every week or something like that, so he's constantly... So anybody who's experiencing any, any difficulty, certainly with the Steinberg stuff, I'd say, just invest in the J-Bridge thing. Is that like a module to include in your code? Is that the way it works? It's just a nice little, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a nice little bridge, and he and he works with developers. I mean, it's smart, very smart, and the guy's so on the case. We're recommending it to everybody who experiences right. any problems. It'll settle down. Yeah, I'm sure it will. And then I it'll mean, be 128 bit. No, not for a while. Honestly, J Bridge. Howard asks um, J. Yeah, yeah. J Bridge. Exactly J Bridge. That. Right. So, um, well, I, I don't know if that answers any questions. It might ask some questions. But anyway, I mean, 64-bit seems to be... I mean, I don't know if anyone's been watching, following the Studio Log series that we've been doing with uh, Robbie Bronneman, which I have to say has really gone down really, really well and is a brilliant insight to a sort of working system. The last episode was fantastic. Have you watched that? Have you seen his little daughter singing? No. She's so unbelievably cute. It's oh, just wow. kind of, you know... As a dad, she it makes you just sort of go, She's a rock star. <laughs> anyway, but he's, he's been, you know, because he's got a really big project, you know, this, I think the track that he's just finished, um, in our, in, in the, in the video blog that he's doing for us, ran to like 150 tracks and he's just been having to bounce audio because he hasn't upped to the whole 64 bit thing on the Mac. It's just, you know, he's between two worlds because some of the plugins are okay and some aren't and, you know, it's like, ah. It's kind of, yeah, it's sort of weird. I mean, it's frustrating. I know it's frustrating for artists because, an awful lot of people I know who used Logic didn't have these out-of-memory problems pre-Logic 9. And now all of a sudden, you know, running 32-bit, now all of a sudden they seem to be fairly endemic. And a lot of artists are ringing me kind of going, uh, what's going on? Why has this changed? And anyway, um, while we're on the subject of Max, I will get it out of the way, because obviously uh, those of us who are interested in this thing uh, will have noticed there has been a new range announced yesterday. The, the Apple Store was down, and they popped back up again with a bunch of new things. I know, Rich, you were quite excited by... Um, the, it's the Magic Trackpad, which uh, is basically <laughs> like the trackpad from a, uh, a laptop, but big, like a sort of whack-on thing that does multi-touch and gesture. And that looks... Like, it could be quite interesting because it might open up this whole multi-touch thing to the desktop and laptop machines and start to sort of um, bring together the whole iPad interface and operating and everything. I don't know. What do you think? Are you, are you sufficiently excited to try one of these? I am and have every intention of doing so immediately. <laughs> uh, you, recall, you recall about a year ago I was fed up with my Logitech trackball and tried a Wacom trackpad and... Uh, that made the Logitech trackball feel more like a vacation. Yeah. And then I got back with my Kensington super trackball thingy with the scrolling where you turn the ball and everything. And I've grown to really like that and I've gotten used to it. And so just when I've gotten settled back into the Kensington thing, Apple goes and releases what I wanted in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> so now I feel I have to try the thing, even though there isn't a hole in my life right now in the computer interfacing department in that regard. Um, I'll be needing to try this thing, yes, and uh, very soon. Well, I mean, at least it's only 70 bucks, uh, as opposed to the new 12-core Mac Pros, which are running the uh, new Intel Westmeres. I was trying to find out what the pricing <laughs> they were. Well, I was trying to find out what the pricing was, and the only thing I could find, because they're not announced until the end of August, or they're not available to the end of August, but if you want to buy the top-of-the-range 8-core, which I think is uh, 2.6 two, gigahertz, it's four and a half grand. 
thousand pounds we're talking here. So I guess the tw- the twelves are going to be a little more pricey, I'd imagine. I thought there was a price on the website. I thought you could click buy now and. Uh... Oh, I couldn't find it. But they they I... run they're running um yeah they they they've got something called Turbo Boost, so you can uh, clock boost when you need it, which. Uh, I think the the maximum twelve core system goes up to two point nine three gigahertz, and yeah, four and a half k for an eight core. They've also got new IMAX. It says right here on the page twelve core starting at five thousand dollars forty nine ninety nine. Is that all? If I if I'd seen that, I'd have pressed buy it now. Rich. <laughs> I'm not going to do the same thing as buy uh, buying a second hand uh, <laughs> core prophecy online is not quite the same thing as going and burning. Yeah, you know, that much money on a on a Mac. I, I couldn't justify it at the moment. It's, well, or hardly ever, actually. That's amazing. <laughs> it's a lot of cash. They're also, they're also touting uh, solid-state drives up to a half a terabyte uh, in this thing and showing graphs of the speed boost you get from using them. Nice. Mm. Mm. Half a terabyte solid-state drives? That's what they're saying. 500. Let me, uh, let me in- go back. Inside and- the... Much. I have a USB 2.0 sol- in- half a terabyte solid state drive, and I've been running samples off of it, and it it's great. It's fantastic. I, That's, it's that, I mean, I'm told that is one of the single biggest system upgrades in terms of tunability that you can actually uh, that really make a difference. Because it, it flies. The applications are like ping. Wow. And also, I guess all the swap space and stuff is being used on there, and it's very, very fast. So you get much faster. I'd love to it's try. Like but having, it's like having RAM. It's, it's almost yeah. like having RAM. Yeah. Let me let Expensive, me read from right? the Apple Prayer Book here. New to the Mac Pro <laughs> is the option to add up to four five hundred and twelve gigabyte solid state drives or any combination of solid state and hard drives. That's and pricey. That, and at the bottom of that same page, they have uh, I/O performance of the solid state drive versus a seventy two hundred RPM hard disk. And needless to say, in all cases that they're representing, the solid-state drives are literally twice as fast or more, more than twice as fast. Mm. Well, more than twice as fast in sequential read and just about twice as fast in sequential write. So that's also new to them. And I guess they're less power-hungry. SSD must be less power-hungry. But I heard, I'm sure I read somewhere that they they, they have a, a, a life... Even though there's no moving parts, the read-write, the read-write, the read-write, kind of there's some some part of it that can be worn out. Or am I just sort of sounding wow. like an old fishwife? I heard somebody talking about it on the on the pier. <laughs> well, I heard, I heard that they can rot. <laughs> talking about the fishwives now? Yeah, whatever. Anyway, some exciting area. The, 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 actually, the iMacs look good. Um, there's an, a Core i3, 3.2, 25, one and a half inch, uh, 1,200 quid, and a 27 inch at 1,400 quid, which, and an i5, 2.8 at 164. I still don't really understand what the iCA processors bring to the table. I still just don't get it. Excuse well, my son just took home his new MacBook Pro with the i7 processor in it. All right. And, and whatever else it might mean, I can tell you that the thing is pretty zippy. Although I promised him that a month from now it won't feel fast anymore because that's the way it works. <laughs> yeah. But uh, right now it all looks and feels very zippy, and he got the the anti gloss display, and it's gorgeous. It's really a nice, nice laptop. Mm. You got one of those, didn't you? Uh, I think it's the same as yours. I was. Oh, it might be slightly newer. I mean, it was only a couple of weeks ago that we got them. I'm with THC in 1995. 
four eight six sixty six megahertz. I think I paid four thousand seven hundred pounds for a PowerMax seventy one hundred uh, <laughs> and a Digi card. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah. Ouch! I know Ouch. it's amazing, wasn't it? From well, so actually, so actually, it's well, it's it's got more expensive in real terms. The top of the range thing with a, without a Digi card is going to be four and a half grand. Yeah. Whew. I mean, that wasn't that, that was just with that Sound Designer <laughs> 2 thing or something, or Audio Media 2. Audio Media 2, yeah. maybe, yeah. Yeah, 2. That was about 500 that was brilliant, quid. Because I had five grand, right? And literally, as I was driving up, I had this in cash. And as I was driving up, the phone went, and it was a mate of mine selling some instruments who was in Red Bus Studios, which were just around the corner from TH, uh, TSC. Yep. And one of the instruments he was selling was an Oscar. And I went, I've got 200 quid. And he went, Yeah, all right. Whoa! So you got a Mac, you bought a Mac and an Oscar yeah. in the same day. And guess which one's lasted longer? Oh, la. yeah. The Oscar was the better person. Well, it's, it's, it's created an entire product range as Dude, well. Yeah. Anyway, well, that's uh, all that Mac talk wasn't off. It was off. It wasn't scheduled, I'm afraid. But uh, I, I think, I mean, I use my Mac as a PC, so I'm guessing PJ, you probably, you know, if you ever felt the need to splurge, you'd probably enjoy the uh, the dual boot love that, that I can offer. Yeah, yeah, and I've certainly given that some consideration, and, you know, who knows if, uh, if, if things work out favorably this year, maybe, you know, maybe. I mean, it would be nice to move away. It would be really nice to move away primarily from the Windows operating system. I'd like to migrate back to the Mac, but to have the option to be able to have, you know, the system that I have currently as a, as a dual board. Yeah, I'd love to get away from Windows completely. I mean, the only thing I use yeah. Windows for now is for video editing, and even that's becoming a Terrible experience. This is a sixty-four. I mean, the thing as as I'll say this as as a person that that enjoys you know looking at what you know, on the ground developers are doing that kind of thing. There's a ton of really really great shareware and freeware and and uh, donationware and that kind of thing for the PC that is experimental and really fun to use and kind of gets your creative juices flowing. And you don't have that same kind of thing happening as rapaciously on the mac so i'm um, that's one and it's a big reason it's become yeah. a big reason yeah, yeah. i would like access to the you know to the windows operating system but uh yeah as from from a day-to-day -day standpoint i think moving back to the mac moving back to pro tools or jumping back into logic god i haven't used logic since logic 4 so yeah it's uh 4.5 i think was the last iteration of logic that i had installed on a computer so yeah it would be uh interesting to go back Right, well, folks, um, let's move on to our first, our first clip playback, um, and here we go. This is this. I love this. I thought this was absolutely awesome. Kevin said, "Why don't we do it almost a cappella, using totally for the backing track, totally voices, all voices, not Beach Boys type of voices, just a wall of sound." I said, yeah, uh, and how are we going to do that? And it was Lowell who came up with the idea of making tape loops that we could run ad infinitum, forever, we just run them. So we spent another three weeks then recording three guys, Kev, Lol, and Graham, just singing R in the studio onto the 16-track machine. Each note 
had 60... I love that. That was one of my favourite video clips for a very, very long time. And that was... I'm not quite sure what it was. It was. It looked like it was a photo montage to some recording of a, a radio interview that somebody did. Because there wasn't a lot of live footage in there, was it? It was kind of a slideshow. Oh, I saw this on TV. Oh, you did? Did you? Yeah, oh, right. Like okay. one of those classic albums. Oh, it was a classic albums thing. Yeah. Right. But uh, that was the news of... That was the 10cc recording, I'm Not In Love, which was just an absolutely massive task. Uh, uh, by the looks of things. Um, and it just, it, it was interesting. I, I was l- researching a little bit about how this song, because it, it turned out to be one of the biggest songs they had and sort of launched them internationally. Uh, apparently, it originally started as a bossa nova version, but was ditched by the band after Godly and Cream dismissed it as crap, in inverted commas. But the band moved on to record One Night in Paris, and they noticed that all the studio staff were still walking around singing I'm Not In Love. So they thought, hmm, maybe we should go back at this. And then, hence, and they, they decided to do something completely different. But I was just thinking, you know, I mean, what, what the hell was going on? They recorded 16 tracks of vocals, bounced that, so they ended up with 256 multi-track things. What they ended up doing was having the fade, each fader, I guess 12 faders, a different note, so they push them up in different combinations for these various chords. I mean, it just seems like I was thinking, why didn't they just record a Mellotron bank? Oh, this was this is richer and mu- oh, well, much, I agree, much yeah. more richer. But what? Three weeks to record that? I'm just thinking. And you the just- arguments? Can you imagine the arguments? Oh, that your fate is definitely a bit higher up the desk <laughs> than mine. Get it back. <laughs> I can't imagine dedicating that much time and effort these days you just you just wouldn't get i mean are, are there any equivalents rich i mean you're working on projects all the time do you think there would if, if you suggested some sort of god forbid rich you sort of came up with a suggestion that said i don't know i'll record each string of the guitar and fret separately and then put them all together again or whatever some sort of equivalent i mean just you just wouldn't have the time or the or the budget i guess well not you but mostly it wouldn't happen would it no not today it wouldn't one of the things that was nice and romantic for me about watching this video is reminding myself of what the recording business was like, where a group like 10CC, that it had a couple of medium-sized hits, at least over here, were able to garner the kind of budget that would put them in a recording studio full of gear long enough for them to be able to choose to spend three weeks doing something to see if it would work. <laughs> this was a um, studio. They owned this studio, though, didn't they? Yes, yeah, Strawberry. Strawberry. So yeah. I guess that's one. one oh, was it theirs? One, yeah. So that's yeah. all that means is that they, all that means is that they were billing the time. Yeah. <laughs> Rather, you know, but somebody's still paying that's for a- that time. I mean, I don't think they were donating the studio to the record label for this person for this purpose. Smart so, cookies. Um, yes. And I do remember in 1983, we made a record with a group called Spies that was comprised of former members of Foreigner, um, recently sort of uh, dismissed members of Foreigner. And uh, Foreigner had become known at that point for a very thick, layered background vocal style, which we adopted on the Spies record as a practice. And while it didn't involve a full chromatic scale of Oz recorded over a period of weeks... There was some ridiculous number of voices being placed on each of these tracks, and some of them were mine, actually. I was in the groups that were singing and uh, built up this massive-sounding vocal thing. And at the time, it was discussed that 10cc had done this thing with the loops and such. And so it was known then, and it's still obviously much admired. But to me, it's mostly today kind of highlights the difference between the way we record things now and the way we recorded things then. 
Do you think that's actually one back. reason why we don't get such massive backing vocal sections? I mean, you do seem to get it in really big pop acts, you know, like the sort of uh, the stuff where maybe the singer isn't up to much. Well, you mean the fact that but I guess you, a can't lot- even find, you can't even find a person to sing lead who can sing? Yeah, alone, so you, you just know, get a huge... I mean, but fifty how- voices of Freddie Mercury. <laughs> yeah. But I suppose that whole... I mean, because nowadays it, a lot of it's done with machinery so you get two or three singers in and you fatten them up and spread them out with you know tc gear or whatever it is that that may be used now i mean i'm guessing i mean i am making a guess here but it would seem that that would be likely but that's what kind of made this sound so organic it's an incredibly yep. rich i mean as a kid i remember hearing that and thinking first of all i must never admit to liking it because everyone will think i'm slightly fey <laughs> but secondly how lush it all sounded it was like wow i mean as from a sonic point of view it was mammoth yeah i like the idea when they took it out live didn't they because they took the tapes out live and they just had these <laughs> kind of acres of tapes behind the stage kind of playing this stuff no is that real i think so yeah Jesus, I wouldn't want to be in their tech on that. Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. Tape machine's yeah. gone down again. That That's when you break out the uh, Mellotron samples or the early emulator or something. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I suppose, but I'd like to see what happened, you know, because they, they've still got those tapes. So I, they, shouldn't, yeah. they, shouldn't they just sort of sample them? Well, I Somebody. have to say we did try and... Oh, God, I can't really say well, anything. Don't say anything, though. No. If you can't, you can't. But I know what you're going to say. Yeah, exactly. So I may as well just say it. No, we actually, we did try. We did try and get get a hold of them. But uh, there's a there seems to be a, um, some friction, let's say, within the band. So well, all, those, all those tapes going around mic stands, you know. When, it was a, when I saw this on Classic Albums, I think I said to Chris immediately, we need those tapes. We have to have them. And then it was my brother-in-law's 50th birthday party, which was a 70s extravaganza. And, of course, the evening ended with 10cc. I'm not in love. And I can't, it was a kind of weird moment. I was kind of like, dude, I was like 14, well, 13, 14, you know, hanging around the sort of back of the disco thinking, shall I ask this girl to dance or not? And then all of a sudden, you know, 30 years later, I'm there kind of going... I'm married. <laughs> and still it sounds lush. Excellent. Yeah. And I still have yes. fear of rejection. Yeah, yeah. I didn't <laughs> ask her to dance. I just dragged her onto the floor. <laughs> ah. I think that's in the lyric there somewhere, isn't it? Yeah. Good um, for you. I, I also like the fact that they, um, the, ba- the drummer got to play the bass drum on some massive modular move. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Boom, 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 you know. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Very sweet. Very sweet. And I, I just, it just, again, you know, this is why all of these kind of behind the scenes recording stuff just still makes me really, uh, in, you know, it fires me up. I just thought it was a brilliant piece. Thoroughly recommend you hey, watch Nick, it. Yeah. I just want to point uh, the listeners to, if if they didn't realize this already, if they're not subscribers to Sound on Sound magazine, I think about a year and a half ago in that magazine. And if you go to their website, um, it's it's eminent, eminently searchable. Uh, there was a classic track article on so, so. Echo Sonic printed it and put it in the uh, chat room at around four thirty-eight. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah, well, there it's you put go. a link there. But thanks very much for that. Yes, that's that. Yeah. I, I agree that, that they do some great. The classic tracks thing is a is just a mine of fantastic data and experience yeah. and all those things. Yeah, it's great. Right. Well, anyway, ten cc. I'm not in love. You'd never get away with it these days. But. Uh, Nice story. Very nice story. Um, and, and that takes us on. I know um, we do get a lot of stick for iPhone apps and what have you, but I did a blog post recently. Um, 
Oh, I suppose I better do an ad, actually. I've almost forgotten about yeah. that. Uh, but I'll do that first, actually, because um, um, we're, 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 time's marching on. I just want to say now, uh, thank you very much to, uh, to Yamaha.co.uk for their sponsorship of the show. Really do appreciate it. In fact, uh, last week's show wasn't on because I was in Hamburg at the Yamaha HQ uh, looking at a new product launch, which I can't talk about because on the actual... Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't say it, Dave. Because on the non-disclosure, it says a fine of 20,000 euros will be liable. So, you know, if, if, so anyway, there is something new coming along. And if you want to find out what it is, you can check out inspirationinaflash.com. That's inspiration in a flash, and you'd expect. Uh, do check it out. Um, it's coming soon, August the 2nd. I think the words can be finally uttered. Um, but uh, that's something you want to keep your eyes on. And also, they've got a whole bunch of uh, great stories, new stories on YamahaDownload.com, uh, new, OS, new OS updates for the Motif XS, new editors for the S90XS and KX series uh, for Cubase 5.5, an interview with Marco Mendoza, who's uh, Thin Lizzy's bassist, and drum kit downloads for the DTC electronic drum kit. So do check them out. Uh, probably the easiest way to get there is to go sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha, and you can get straight through to that. Um, but I did see, while I was there, I... I um, in the foyer, there was a DX1 pristine, a CX, a CS80 pristine, and uh, uh, unfortunately, there wasn't an EX1, which kind of ties in nicely. <laughs> I've jumped topics here because uh, I did find a brilliant video uh, that was posted recently on YouTube of, uh, well, I should say, before I leap ahead. So thank you very much to Yamaha for, for the trip. Had a lovely time in Hamburg. I uh, really enjoyed the whole thing. But also, thank you very much for sponsoring the show. Uh, we really do appreciate it. But we can move on. We'll, we'll do the thing on the EX1 perhaps a little bit after this because I think we need to do this iPad app. I know people are often... Uh, you know, criticising us for, for going on about the iPhone and the iPad. But this really does take the biscuit. Uh, Dave, if you'd like to press play, I think something might happen. I'll just play it. Or not. Is anything happening? No. Oh, hang on. We're up to bar 187. There you go. Oh, there we go. Uh, saves me playing the MP3 as well. thing, but what this basically is, is Nano Studio, and it's from a company called Blip Interactive, who are a UK company, and this thing, it really, I mean, we're playing on the iPad here, we just had to double up the uh, the screen, but it's even that's fine. It's essentially a multi-track studio, uh, what do you get? You get uh, one, two, three, four, four instances of this really quite nice sounding synth uh, mm. analog emulation, a uh, 16 power sort of drum sequencer, and a sort of arrangement um, page, which is lets you kind of edit and move, and it, it's... It's bloody awesome. I'm really I am kind of fired up about it because I know Dave, you've seen it for you had a look and you were kind of looking at it going, Oh that's good and that's good. Oh that's yeah, good. That's good. Oh, that's and it good. just didn't stop. It just doesn't stop. Yeah. And it, it, it I, I think I wrote a blog post about it which was you know, every time I sort of think, no, I don't need an iPhone, I don't need any of this. I mean, I have to get the iPad, obviously, because I want to review stuff for Sonic. But this is a really compelling case. It's a brilliantly designed app. There's some really cool features in it. Um, what was the one that we were talking about earlier, which was the the fact that you can, when you're playing the synth, 
you can stack the keyboard so you can you can either have the the the, the panel above the keyboard to be um synth display synth, synth parameters or an xy pad or it can just be another keyboard so you can effectively play two notes at the same time it enables much faster playing just some really genius and very nice interface design rich i know you've got an ipad you think you get this i do not until it's released for ipad oh i see uh, well, it's I an iphone you, app but i, oh, do I you checked think, do you think they I might check right away do you think they might get um <laughs> do you think they might might uh, get a free update because they've released a universal version i wonder i don't know but i'm i'll buy i've kind of gotten off of buying anything that's not developed for the ipad for my ipad really i mean this is fine I'll hold it up here and you can see the interface perhaps on via one of these cameras. I mean, it's screen doubled. But it, oh, it, I see, yeah. It looks fine, but the thing is, you know, if I flip these up, I, this isn't going to make very scintillating uh, podcast listening, admittedly. But, but So you can flip like this and then... Oh, I'm, I'm not really doing it justice, am I? Yeah, there we go. So you can have a double keyboard, which means you can do... Which means you can actually play quite articulate lines, which you can't do on a lot of the other synth synth ones. And, and that reverb, and, you know, there's still plenty of effects in there and what have you. But anyway, um, did, uh, PJ, is this the sort yes, of sir. thing that would make you think, hmm, that on my phone while I sit on the bus and come up with a couple of grooves? What do you reckon? It's got to be quite yeah, a... Yeah. Uh, hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I love stuff like that. I mean, I, I, you've heard me lament... Uh, the death of my MC505 several times, um, and that's, and I've I've not gone about you know chasing the, a little portable device for a couple of years, but something like that would be really cool. I've been waiting for uh, for these little multi-touch devices just to sort of produce something like that, and that is really cool. And I think, yeah, I could totally see myself on the bus or on a train or on a plane or. In the bathroom. Hey, let's. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I want to visualize that. But yeah. uh, <laughs> you've got to watch out because you don't want to get moisture in there. Yeah, exactly. No, but uh, what I wanted to ask is: is there MIDI MIDI input via no. USB? Uh, or there, like I mean, I, there may be. You know, because obviously, if you stick one of those Line Six things on it, that's now that that's been opened up. Yeah. The MIDI, whatever it's called, I've forgotten what it's called now. And I reviewed it. That's a bit dumb, isn't it? Um, but, you know, this might open all this stuff up. So, you know, we're kind of getting... Well, kind of like, Rich, I think you should buy it. Look, what is it? I think it's nine quid. So it's a, it's a premium app, 64 meg download. But I'm going to I'm gonna, um, gonna see if I can come up with some stuff on this because you essentially get six. You get six tracks and you also get... I, I'll see if I can find it here. You get um, sample editing. the song it's thing, well. song edit, which I'll just try and hold up here. Yeah. Again, not very good for the... So you get like a kind of almost like a layout of the songs and the patterns so that you can then edit the length of. And, uh, I'm not doing a very good job of selling it, but I'm really no, you're doing a pretty good job of covering Dave's face. Though. I, I, I'm really well, I, I, I cover mine because I've got a wide angle and it'll all be a bit sort of uh, I've got a fish eye in there. But I'm, I'm quite excited. I don't know if you can tell. I, I, and, and, com and it's a compelling and worth talking about. I'd love to talk to the developers of it because they've done a great job. And I think, in fact, yeah. from what I gather, I was looking on the forums, it's one guy who's just sort of seen it through and he's just going to, hopefully, he'll make a lot of money and make some more of these things because in every respect, it's kind of tasty. 
Well, he's got it at 15 15 bucks here in America, which kind of puts it in that, boy, you better really want it kind of category. Oh, come on. How much do you spend on two beers? Come on. No, just in terms of typical app pricing, not in oh, well, terms yeah, of okay. high willingness to part with 15 bucks. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to check that. <laughs> it's all relative. Yes, I suppose it is. Yeah, in fact, I'll buy yours, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Rich. I didn't mean to insinuate that you were uh, in any way less than well, you less said than nine able. quid premium app. I well, like, it is. Yeah, quid. I don't know what because I mean most of them are kind of a couple of bucks to you know whatever th- right. five or six quid. But yes, I think maybe that will stop the the kind of the impulse buy thing. But uh, you know, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. I, I'm 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 going to try and get a review going on this thing because I just I just thought it was awesome. And although it's probably so complicated, it's going to yeah. take me weeks to review, and then I'll end up you know just be pointless for a nine buck app or whatever nine pound app. But good stuff, good yeah. stuff. Well done, Blip Interactive. Um, very very nice. Um, I, I don't suppose there's also all that much more we can say because I mean me and Dave are the only people who've actually had our fingers on it. But it is a very nice piece of design and something that makes a compelling argument for uh, oh actually the one thing that was cool about it you can download actually rich this this work you can download pc and mac emulations of it so you can try it out and if you get yourself your magic touchpad you'll kind of be right there but on your desktop or on your laptop well speaking of that uh that roadworthy aspect of it i'm about to leave today to go on a five-day camping trip with my family uh-huh. And I've decided on this trip to bring the iPad rather than the laptop. I know this is roughing it type camping, right? Uh-huh. Bringing the iPad rather than the laptop and uh, bringing a Bluetooth keyboard so that I can actually type properly into the iPad. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that, that'll work. Yeah. I tried it. I bought it. I tried it. It works great. Oh, brilliant. I, so even, you... compared it, I even compared it to the iPad keyboard dock, which was available, and I... The guy was nice enough. The guy who, who arranged this interview for my son was nice. Was nice enough to pull out an iPad keyboard dock and let me try it out. And uh, I like this better. Ah, I camping says as your head in the uh, chat room, which I think is a very Indeed. witty, <laughs> very witty. <laughs> yes, and Kent, Kent wants me to bring a plastic swan up there. I love it. <laughs> Incidentally, those of you who do like to browse Sonic State on uh, on your I- iOS uh, apps, fairly soon will be iPad friendly with video and everything. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to launching that sometime in the future. But anyway, I, I I guess there's not much more to say. But really, really worth checking out. Nano Studio from Blip Interactive, a really kind of. And if you if you don't want to buy the app, go and download the uh, the emulator because apparently that's fine too. And I, I haven't tried that out, but uh, well worth checking out. Um, but well, I suppose we could get on to now. This is uh, this is kind of the cream of the crop, really. Uh, and I'd just like to play this because uh, this was a, a great discovery. The Yamaha ES1, the big speaker. The other one got thrown away by the church. This is a shame. And the Leslie speaker is getting fixed. (laughs) 
I'll stop it there because it goes on a bit. But that was uh, when you think there's only ten of these. This is the uh, Yamaha Electone EX1, right? Ten only made in the entire world. Uh, this was posted by a chap called Buddha Shake on YouTube, who uh, presumably has picked one up from a church, mm. which uh, chucked out one of the speakers. He came with a couple of speakers, which were called the TX3 speakers. This thing weighed 243.5 kilograms. I don't know if that includes the speakers or not. 32 voices. Uh, looks like it had um, two full-size manuals. I guess must be able to plug some bass pedals in. Uh, it had a little keyboard that was a bit like... Ooh, a bit like the um, this kind of CSO one kind of thing. I think it may have had a ribbon as well, and it was very much based on the the, the kind of Big Daddy GX one kind of uh, what was the what was the synthesis type called? It was called oh, I've forgotten now PMW or something like pulse modulation something or other. Um, but I'd never seen one of these before, and I just thought, wow, only ten of them. I mean, something so gargantuan and sort of huge just seemed like something we should celebrate perhaps i did write a blog post about it and uh, just just to sort of just to celebrate but it seemed like it could do analog and organ and arpeggiators in quite interesting chord arpeggiators by the sound of it if you watch the entire demo all kinds of stuff going on there and uh, I was looking at uh, Fail Muso, who's uh, in the chat room. I'm not sure if he's there now, but he was. He has been. Uh, he did a great bo- blog post on the Yamaha Uber synths and kind of brought up some interesting points about it, which was uh, that these that there was kind of the super synths that were created at sort of R and D that a lot of other technology was spawned from, like the GX1 spawned the CS80 and some of the other CS range, and then. But they actually sold them as well, so they created a, a, a production model, whereas somebody like Korg, who apparently, I didn't know this, they had a one-off original Korg Oasis system back in the day at Korg HQ, which span off the Prophecy Z1 and other instruments, and they were derived. But there was only one of them. They didn't actually sell that until, you know, what, a couple of years ago, they, they announced the Korg Oasis keyboard, which is nothing like the yeah, original yeah, yeah. sort of... This right. huge, I just sort of like this idea of this huge synthesizer in a room that's sort of feeding out little s- synthesis types. And I don't know, what do you think? I mean, th- this, this seems to be like the granddaddy or grand, grand beast of all organs. And Dave, you said that you'd played one, so I want to hear from you. I have, you. yeah. Um, actually, the same person that we went to visit to do some GX stuff, GX1 stuff, uh, took us into another room, and there was um, this beastie with these amazing speakers. I mean, the one thing that you can't get from any of the YouTube videos is the power of these things through their proper speakers. It right. really is like you know, pin you against the wall kind of <laughs> energy. Quite stunning. And they'd kind of they'd done some. Oh, uh, unfortunately, Chris is on holiday, and Chris is kind of more obsessive about organs. Uh, he's kind of the organ dude, and I'm the synth dude. Uh, and he looked at the speakers and kind of went, wow, wow, they kind of got around the Leslie patent by doing this. And if I remember it, they were kind of vertically rotating horns as opposed to horizontally rotating horns. It was kind of, it was very clever and very strange, but smart. And it sounded magnificent. It sounded incredibly similar to a GX1, which the top, um, the, the top keyboard is like little mini keys, but it's got aftertouch. And, ah, and then you do this thing where you wiggle the keys from side to side and you get uh, vibrato. It's really, really slick. Ooh. Very smart stuff. This, uh, and then you've got this mad programmer, which you kind of pull out of a drawer underneath the, 
uh, underneath one of the, the bottom keyboards. Yeah, like keyboard. it's got preset for presets. Yeah, and you can set things. I mean, on the GX1, there's another one that sits on the top, and then you kind of program these cartridges, and you slot them in. I mean, real amazing. And I, and I know that from, like, the GX1, there's some outrageous amount of cabling in there, something like five miles worth of cabling or something. Jesus. It's very, very, very slick. I couldn't find out how much it originally cost, but I, I guess if I needed to know, then there was actually no point. It's a lot. Should we just say a lot? Well, it was interesting because you sang, um, oh God, who was the guy you said in the chat room? It looked, you know, they, they, basically the ones with the Yamaha are the kind of big flagship things and everything else is the derivatives of that. So uh, okay. with the GX1, you had, uh, the CS80 and stuff like that. And I was kind of thinking, well, there was no FX1. There was. There was, was there? Yes, apparently. I saw there's a picture. I, I will find a link somewhere. There's, when I've been trawling through, there was a FX1. There was an FX1. I've played an HX one, I think. Ah, uh, maybe that's what I was thinking. Yeah, about. I've got a feeling they, uh, there was one that they missed out. But I was kind of wondering what the derivatives of the EX one would have been then. Because it does sound incredibly similar to the... EX42. I've got a... Uh, would you like to hear a clip of what the EX42 sounds like? Yes, please. Ready? Stop there. It sounds like one of those dodgy old Moog albums, doesn't it? Uh, that was no, uh, what well, that was uh, an EX42. That was, um, right. Well, I don't want one Larry of those. FX1. Well, that was a derivative. And what he would, the, what he was, the reason the whistle was kind of jazzy, shall we say, was because he was playing that on the ribbon controller. It sounded like somebody torturing a fruit bat. <laughs> <laughs> fruit bat tickler. Yes, there you go. Failed Musos, GX1, all over Songs in the Key Life. Listen to Village Ghetto Land and all of that kind of stuff. That's all GX1. And this sounded remarkably similar. Mm. Well, I don't remember an arpeggiator being on the GX1, but maybe that's because I was in awe of it. Well, anyway, um, I, I know, Rich, have you, have you come across yeah. these things? Because you, you've got a, a long history of interest in uh, giant keyboards and known people who work in these kind of... Uh, in the in the rare R and D echelons of this stuff, is is this something that you've you've had the pleasure of enjoying firsthand? I sat at a GX one in Polar Studios in Stockholm, which was formerly owned by ABBA. Ooh, um, that's an experience but didn't I'd like get to, have had. to really play it much. Uh, when Yamaha Electone organs were proper retail products, I was working at a music store, so I got to play Yamaha Electone organs, but I never got to play this particular giant beast but these things at the time companies were making these things because you were still in a transition from theater organs to home entertainment products and so hammond had one with the little mini keyboard on top of the two manual thing and a, some kind of cassette deck at the left end to play backing tracks for you or something and various companies were doing these kinds of products so I may remember seeing lit on this Yamaha organ that he was showing in the video, but I'd never actually sat at one. But it sounds just like Yamaha Electone organ with some kind of little synth on top of it. <laughs> I suppose that's, that's what, what it is, pretty much. Yeah, I, yeah, basically. 
but uh, yeah, a gorgeous hunk of technology. I mean, I can't imagine how you begin to sort of fix one if it required any sort of work on it. Oh man, yeah. Gee, did Keith, did Keith Emerson tour his GX one? Yeah, I think oh, Chris. Yes. I think Chris was involved yes, in did. that. Oh, I think Chris might have dropped it on his foot or something. I can't remember. Just saw a video of Keith from earlier this week at some festival in London playing, and uh, was barely able to navigate some of the passages in his own writing. And on top of and and in addition to that, he had a Hammond organ facing a golf modified Hammond organ facing center stage, and on top of it was a Korg Oasis. And he played the entire Hammond part and and actually the synth parts on the Hammond sound on the Oasis. Oh. Never touched the Hammond. There's something wrong with that picture, isn't there? And didn't play any of the synth lines on synths. He played them on the organ sound on the Oasis and was clearly struggling with his technique. Oh, man. Yeah, well, it's funny, we, we, we've talked about this before, haven't we, where you kind of get all these people sort of hankering after the old sort of style and everything. And all that, basically, a lot of the old guys who just say, well, to be honest, I'd rather, if I could just do it all on a USB key and a laptop without any effort, easy life, you know. Yeah. Really, after yeah. you've been doing it for that long, I suppose that's just the way you kind of get. No, the, sad no. thing, the sad thing was to see him struggling with his plane. Because he's got this carpal tunnel syndrome, hasn't he? Oh, really? And stuff like that. Yeah. yeah well, that's gonna that's gotta be a problem, oh, isn't it? I mean, Chris said he was a phenomenal player when when he was working with him, like phenomenal. Oh, yeah. You know, playing all this stuff backwards and upside down, and just yeah. phenomenal. I mean, he said it didn't really yeah. appeal to him, but it was pretty stunning. Acrobatic. Well, um, th- that kind of ties us in. Well, it doesn't really tie us in at all because what's Keith something Emerson? Keith Fingers, Keith, Keith the Knife Emerson. I don't know. Are there any sort of nicknames for him? Because that's my final topic, um, which I have no um, no clip for. But uh, I was thinking about, you know, do you know any musicians who have a name? You know, like David Fingers Hain is that guy who plays the Korg uh, nanopad now. It used to be the HR16, used to be finger drumming. And he is one hell of an awesome finger drummer. I mean, better than his drumming, better than most drummers drum, in fact. Really kind of amazing jazz funk thing. And then there's, uh, obviously, I was thinking of a couple of others. Donald Duck Dunn, of course, the classic. Uh, was he the bass player or the guitarist? He was the guitarist, wasn't he? With? With Booker T and the MGs. Okay. Because the no, du- Donald Duck Dunn was the bass player. He was the bass player. All right. I was thinking the duck sound was because of the quack of the Strat sound, but I was... No, that's, obviously- that's Steve, Steve Cropper was doing the quacking in that band. Yes. So, uh, I, well, I might just cut this out so that my musical heritage is not in question. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> T-Bone Walker, no, absolutely no idea why that might have been. But um, Seeing that. Mark Ma- Thundercup, Th- Thunder Thumbs King. Is, do you remember Henry King Thumb Thomas? Yes. Oh, it was at uh, rock school. Yes. Just this massive thumb. <laughs> Level forty-two. Level forty-two. <laughs> um, so, Rich, have you got have you got a name within the band? Anybody anybody here would like to uh, mention that they perhaps have a have a name or uh, know anybody or close to anybody who has a name or rejected a name? Tried to tried to live down a name. <laughs> I hear silence. Well, I was once introduced on stage as the backbone of Chic, and 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 while it never really rose to the level of nickname. Rich the Bone Hilton. Some tours, yeah, right. The Bonehead. Um, the some tours later, he had dropped that, and a, ja- a very nice Japanese person who was a friend of mine came up to me after the show and say, "Why no backbone anymore?" Oh. <laughs> and I so you know. did. Well, you got one, but that, but that's that's nice to have have at least one. 
<laughs> one, that you can, one that you can relate yourself in polite company. <laughs> PJ. Well, uh, back about a decade ago when I was working in and out of a couple studios in Minneapolis when we actually had um, the economy for session players and that kind of thing was happening, um, there were a couple, uh, there was a woman uh, named Sharon Jones who did an R&B record and I came in and I was recommended to play both piano and Rhodes on her record and um, came in and did all the songs she asked me to do in one take each. And so she started to call me magic and that stuck uh, with the engineers there. They said, hire this guy. He's magic. He'll come in and do it in one take. And I didn't always do it in one take, but always prided myself on being able to try to come in and figure out what an artist wanted quickly. Oh, that's nice. Was so do that. What do they call PJ? PJ magic. magic PJ P- magic. So was this Sharon Jones and the doo-wop Kings? No, I wish. Oh, the Daptones. Oh, was... You mean the Daptones? Yes. Yeah. I was kind yeah, of no, going, not, not, not her. <laughs> she called you no, magic. Just, just kind of a international singer songwriter. Nothing really to talk about so much. Just you know, one of those projects that comes through had a budget, hired Excellent. me to come in and play, and Excellent. yeah. Oh, that's great. I like that. KSR80 says in the chat room, could customers please stop phoning me while the podcast is on, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, let's call him now. Yeah, what's your number? <laughs> no, don't don't broadcast because it's going to be put in the stream. But... <laughs> um, Dave, uh, you thought you got away with that, didn't you? Uh, as well? I did, yeah. Uh, uh, no, I didn't like it. I hate all that drummer. T- oh, God. Somebody I know who's a drummer calls himself Sticks, you know, S-T-I-X. I loathe all of that kind of stuff. It's just so crass and corny. I was known as Dave the Drummer, and I'm still known as Dave the Drummer to a few people who haven't seen Can't me remember your surname. Ever. Yeah, it's just, oh, here's Dave the Drummer. Um, no, I have five pseudonyms, which I'm not going to tell anybody what they are. I know a couple, I think. It's quite, and I like that. I really like that. I like the fact that, you know, you can do things and people have no... Um, it's, there's just no baggage. You bring no baggage to the table at all. You are that person. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Uh, well. Yours? I, I don't think I've got any, actually. Well, I, well I, Louise I, and I thought of one. <laughs> oh, did you? Bear in mind you, of your remix background. <laughs> we were Nix, N-I-X, Mix, M-I-X. Oh, Nix, Mix. Nix, Mix. I always thought I should have a more sort of uh, showbiz spelling of Nick. You know, whether it's N-I-K, N-I-C, N-Y-K. <laughs> Not sure, you know, but it's not. It's just a regular knickknacks. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> well, okay, stop that, everybody. This is all going down in the live video stream, and it will be kept forever. I don't want any more. <laughs> Kent the... Oh. Okay, let's stop that. I was right once in a, a relatively well-known punk band here in the in the Twin Cities that uh, the lead singer went by the name King Shit. Ah. Yes. <laughs> Lovely. And he was. He was. Oh, well, I suppose if you live up to it, you got, if you live up to it, you get those, because quite often, if you meet somebody with a sort of, who is m- known as, then sort of not. They don't come across as that person. Yeah, yeah, that's really quite weird, yeah, isn't it? it? Like Big Dave, and he's like two foot. 
yeah, at all. Or what, you know what I mean? That sort of thing. But I suppose it might be a, a joke. Anyway, I think that kind of draws the show to its natural conclusion. So I want to say thank you, everybody in the chat room. I think this kind of streaming business seems to have worked nicely with the old chat. I'm going to try and, again, uh, if anyone wants to set us up an IRC channel so we can use that instead of the Ustream thing, please contact me directly. But thank you, everybody in the chat room uh, for joining us this week. Uh, been much fun, as per usual. Uh, looks like we've had another bumper crop, so super, super smashing marvellous. And also, I want to say thank you very much to Dave in the studio. Oh, I'm pointing in the wrong direction. I should do that for continuity. Yeah, that's weird. It's weird, yeah, the camera's the wrong way around. Um, Dave Spears, g4software.com, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, a, a pleasure as always. Thank you for having me. And uh, on the other side of the wires, I will say thank you to PJ Tracy from pjtracymusic.com. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here. And you, I just got to say, you guys look lovely side by side. There. Oh, do we? It's like sort of, yeah. oh, hang on, we'll do that. We're colour coordinated. Oh, look, it's nice yeah, very it. CNN. It's fantastic. So over to you, Dave. Oh, no. So over to you, Dave. Oh, so you're watching the video stream as well. Anyway, well, thank you very much yeah. for joining us, PJ. And also Rich Hilton from Connecticut, uh, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. Thank you very much for joining us too. And I hope the rest of your days, both of you guys, is fruitful. Because for ours, is over as it is five after the five o'clock. Thank you, Rich. Always a pleasure. I really enjoy it. And it's great to have PJ back. Yep, it's Thank been you. great to get the gang together. So, Thank that's you so much. It. That was great. Sonic Talk number 183. <laughs>